Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Our series over the month of February has been all about God's plan for redemption and reconciliation for all the people in all the places in the world. And before we got to the climax, to the crux, to really the key, um, we began talking about our divine origin. And so in the first week of February, we talked about human beings were created in the image of God to reflect Him to the world. Images are set uh, to give reality, to give the reality. Um, we are the image, God is the reality, and so we're meant to set forth the reality of God. And because God is the creator, and we were created in His image, um, He is the source and the sustainer of everything in our life. And then we talked about our divine purpose, which was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To have redeemed families and redeemed relationships and redeemed workplaces and redeemed uh, teams to have any sort of redemption in your life, you first have to be pursuing the glory, the glorifying of God and enjoying Him forever. Um, we learn that it's impossible to enjoy God without glorifying Him, and it's also impossible to glorify God without enjoying Him. They go together. We glorify God be, by enjoying God. And when we enjoy God for who He is, we glorify Him in our life. And so that's our divine purpose, to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And this week, we're going to be talking about the key ingredient to the redeemed creation and redeemed purpose. Our divine origin and our divine purpose is found complete in the all-sufficient Jesus Christ. And I know Dwayne did a great job last week talking about practical ways to share your faith. And one of the primary realities that we deal with is that sin, corruption from the fall, has completely ruined our perfect harmony with God. And sin affects humans in two general ways. It affects our union with God. Um, our connection to God. It separates us from God. So if you've never submitted your life to the Master, to Jesus, then sin's main effect on you is that you are not a child of God. You have been separated from God. That's what sin does. It separates you from Him. In Colossians 1.21, which is the next verse after our passage, Paul says this, "...in you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds." Sin alienates you from God. So that's one of the primary ways that sin has effect on humans. The other way is that sin affects our communion with God as well. If you are a believer, if you have that union with God, your relationship to God can be dull and joyless because of sin. The purpose of your life in Christ is to have life abundantly and to enjoy Him forever. And so sin's effect on the Christian is to dull, dull your senses to God. Your sin wages war against you. And your relationship with your Creator can feel weak and connectionless. And this is a primary uh, 
conversation that I know young believers, I, I still have, like, I know I'm a believer, but there's times where I just don't feel connected to God. This is what sin does to the, to the Christian. It dulls our senses to the living King. And so, although we do have divine origin, we are all image bearers of God. And we do have divine purpose, which is to image God with glory and with the enjoyment of Him forever. We are in sin, de- in desperate need of soul-level redemption to experience the harmony that was designed for our lives. And so this is where we see shining brightly at the center of the Word in the universe, Jesus Christ, sufficient for all of the needs in creation. The overarching theme in the Bible is that God is restoring all of creation back to Himself by the life death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The overarching theme of the Bible is that God is restoring all of creation back to Himself by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Restoration is God's great theme of the Scriptures. God's people rebelling and God coming to their rescue. And the restorative rescue plan of the Bible is Jesus Himself. The whole Bible is about Him. The entire Scripture, the whole Word is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In Acts, Jesus is preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. And in Revelation, Jesus is expected. The whole restorative rescue plan of God is found in Jesus. This is essential to the Christian faith. If it's about anything else, It's not restorative and it's not redemptive. So if it is true that God is the source and the sustainer of all things, and if it is true that our main purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then Jesus is the key that unlocks the redemption of all things. We're in Colossians 1, 13-20. And I wanted to use this passage uh, Chad Ackerman and Tyler Hal and I were in a discipleship pod, and we've been reading Colossians. Like we have committed to read Colossians to, get to uh, with each other, but our meetings, like we never get to Colossians, but we just, we're still reading it. And as I was thinking about this series and what I wanted to, to talk about, um, we were going through Colossians one, and I was just reminded of this great truth that Jesus is supreme. And so I wanted to use this passage because this letter was written in response to a young church on what to prioritize in their lives. They were dealing with false uh, false teachers in the church who had began to shift their priorities. They were teaching legalism and mysticism at the same time. And so um, part of the people were learning that you you needed to do better, you needed to um, have all your... uh, T's crossed and your I's dotted. You had to be perfect to be redeemed. And the other side of the church uh, was being taught that you needed enlightenment by finding yourself to be redeemed. And so they were teaching legalism and mysticism, and it was really confusing. And so Paul aimed to help the church in Colossae see that this is all about Jesus. He was writing this letter to say, if you embrace Christ, if you embrace Jesus and who He is, you won't need this new teaching. You won't need to embrace blind obedience or enlightenment. You won't need to embrace blind obedience or enlightenment. 
He's writing the text to say, if you embrace Christ, if you embrace Christ, all you need is Him. Nothing else is going to open your eyes more or soften your heart more or encourage your soul more. Paul wants us to know that the end of all your worry and wanting and the, uh, the key to your divine origin and to your divine purpose is found with Jesus. And so we're going to look at the text and see how this is true. Let's begin in verse 13 and 14. He who is the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The first thing that we establish in the redemption of the world is that it begins with the forgiveness of your sin. The main enemy to your redemption is your sin. The main enemy to your redemption is your sin. And we, we read verse 21, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Sin separates us from God in our thoughts and in our actions. And this is where we are without Jesus. As a non-believer, completely cut off. And as, as a believer without Christ, our communion marred with God. But in your sin, in your sin, you were once alienated, the Father has delivered you from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now what is the kingdom of His beloved Son? If you look at John chapter 1, our secondary passage for this morning, in verses 4 and 5, John writing about Jesus from the beginning of time and who He was, this is what he says, In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' life is the light of humanity, and the darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. So what is the kingdom of the beloved Son? It's the kingdom of life and light. The kingdom of the beloved Son, which we are transferred into, out of the domain of darkness is the kingdom of life and light. That means that if you are a believer, the goal is that you are transferred from the domain of darkness into a, a life, a kingdom that has life coursing through you and light shining through you. You're supposed to be alive to God and to the world around you. That's what it's all about. And so if you are transferred by the Father in Christ into the kingdom of the beloved Son. It's the kingdom of life and light. Paul shares the distinctive plan of God for redemption right there. All people in sin, in the domain of darkness, transferred, removed because of Jesus. Jesus is strong enough to move us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of life and light. We don't need legalism. We don't need mysticism. We don't need any other, any other sort of thing that's uh, trying to teach you that this is what enlightenment is. You don't need it all, any, any of it. We need Jesus. Jesus is strong enough to turn your whole situation into life and light. 
He's trustworthy to redeem. And the question, the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him to take you from your domain of darkness and to transfer you into the kingdom of life and light? The main opposition to life and light in your life is not trusting Jesus as trustworthy to transfer you into that kingdom. Let's move on. In verses 15 through 20, Paul outlines the important attributes of Jesus that does make him trustworthy to save. And so, verses 13 and 14, Paul's saying, this is the truth. This is what we learn about God. And in 15 through 20, he gives us a reason. A reason to trust Jesus as the safest retreat and as the redeemer of humanity. And so, we're going to go through four attributes of Jesus that make him trustworthy for everything in our life. Verse 15. He, now this is Jesus, different from the he in 13, which is the Father. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So the first attribute about Jesus is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is much more than the prophets. Much more than the prophets. And he's not just a good guy or a good teacher. Jesus is God-made flesh. The one who gives body to the eternal. He is the image of the invisible God. This is extremely important when you think about who Jesus is and what he is. Because if he is anything less than God, anything less than God, he is not the Jesus of the Bible. There are at least a hundred passages that talk about Jesus' deity and who He is as God. And I just want to point out three. Um, Hebrews 1.3, you can write this down. Speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That is incredible. Philippians 2, 5 and 6, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And finally, Jesus made the claim himself, and this, is, this part is really important for what we know about Jesus, is that he actually said it. John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because just as we learned in the first week of February, humans are images of God, setting forth dimly the reality of Him. Jesus, the exact imprint of His nature, sets forth brightly the reality of God. And so we are dimly setting forth the reality of God, and Jesus brightly sets forth the reality of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. This is why it's important that we don't stray too far from the Gospels when we read the Bible. Wherever you're at in the Bible, it's important to be in the Gospels often because to know Christ is to know God. And there's been some very poor misrepresentation of God coming out of those who claim Christianity. And it's, it's kitschy and cliche to say in our day and age. But this is just the reality of since the beginning of time, believers have misrepresented God poorly. And that's why we look to the Word to see who God is. 
And so I want to lay out some characteristics of Jesus that show us what God is like that we don't, probably don't typically think about. Number one, Jesus is compassionate to those who are hurting. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus has compassion. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was all about having compassion on those who were different than you and to those who were hurting. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And Isaiah talks about the coming king and he says, he will never crush a bruised reed or, or quench a smoldering flax. A broken, a broken reed he won't uh, crush and a candle that's going out, he won't pinch it. Jesus is full of mercy towards sinners. When he was put on the cross, he looked to the Father and said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is patient. The Bible says that the Lord is not slow to his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. This is a really important thing for me to learn and to know because sometimes I think that God's timing is really, really slow. But the Bible is revealing to us that God is not slow. God is patient. We're slow. God's not slow. We're slow. And He's patient to you. And so when we see Jesus, we see God. And, and what we see is a compassionate, gentle, loving, merciful, and patient Creator. I think it's important that we see God clearly here. The gentle man of many sorrows relating to all in their trouble. In Hebrews, it describes Jesus as one who can sympathize with our weakness. He shows compassion and love in all that He does. And this is the God who created and sustains the whole universe. Who's worthy to be trusted to redeem. Secondly, Jesus being the image of the invisible God gives us a category for Jesus being the doorway to redemption. Because as the Creator and as the image of God, He then is the Redeemer. In John chapter 14, Thomas asks Jesus, how can we know the way? And Jesus says very plainly, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, is the way. And there's no other way. And you can go against the grain or you can submit, submit to the way. Verse 16. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The second attribute is Jesus is the Creator of all things. Jesus is the Creator of all things. There was not one thing that was made on planet Earth that Jesus Christ did not speak into existence. He was not created. He is the Creator. Jesus was not thought up by God. He is God. Jesus has no beginning. He is the beginning. I once heard it said that Jesus Christ had no beginning. He is simply there. 
John 1 again, our secondary passage, verses 1 and 3. Read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now this passage in John 1 mirrors Genesis 1, which we talked about in the first week of February. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we, what we learn about the Creator God is that everything that was ever made was made by Jesus. Everything that was ever made was made by Jesus. And I, this might be just a subtle shift, but it's important to know that when you think about God being the Creator, we think about Jesus being the Creator. It gives glory to who He is and trustworthiness for Him to redeem. And so, it's not just that He's the Creator. It's not just that He's the Creator, but it's also that everything was made for Him. Everything was made for Him. Verse 16 again. For by Him all things were created. All things were created through Him and for Him. Not only is Jesus the Creator, but He is the reason for creation as well. Everything that was made was made for Christ. That means that you were made to know Christ. If you wonder why God created you, He created you to be in relationship with Him through Jesus. You were made to have a relationship with Him. And your longing and your wanting is found complete in Jesus. Now why does this matter that Jesus is the Creator? And we're talking about redemption. So why does this matter? Well, when something breaks down in your house, the person that you trust most with its repair is the designer. If you have live wire that's not insulated coming out of your walls, you're not going to trust the garbage company to fix it. If you have backed up pipes, you're not going to trust the librarian to come fix it. If your hot water heater busts, you don't call the landscaper or the painter to fix it. And I was, you know, I have a painting company that's been on the back burner for about a year, and I fixed a hot water heater for somebody before. I was the wrong person to call. Okay, because when we spliced it, we cut the, the, uh, the copper pipe. Uh, turns out it wasn't the right angle, so we had to put a little, a little turn on. I don't know what they call it, the little J thing. Okay, you don't call the landscaper or the painter to fix your hot water heater. You might call the handyman, but don't call me because I'm not, I'm not an expert in fixing the hot water heater. The person that you trust most with the machine is the designer. And Jesus is the designer and creator of all. So we look to Him to redeem. Everything was designed by Him and for Him. And so, if you have places in your life that need restored, that need reconciled, relationships, your personal connection to God, sin that's separating you from Him, don't trust the spiritual garbage company to mend your life. Submit your claims to the designer. He is the one who is trustworthy to repair. Jesus has six out of five stars on Yelp. Okay? If you submit your life to Him, He comes through. And I've seen it over and over and over and over again. 
His Yelp review is through the roof. And we go into the one out of five star company day after day. Jesus as Creator is the direct reason why He can be trusted with, it, with the repair. And I think that's important for us to know that why would we give our problems to God? Because He created you and He knows you and He knows what you need. Let's move on. Verses 17 and 18. Jesus is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that word preeminent is a big word that the ESV threw in there. Other translation says that he might have supremacy. Supreme, I think, is a little easier word to understand. But it's the idea that Jesus would be supreme over all. He is over all things. And so the third attribute is that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. We learned in the first week that God... Himself as the Creator is the source and and the sustainer of all things, which then means that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. In Him, all things hold together. It's the end of verse 17. This This is a claim that makes Christianity different. That nothing can be held together without Christ. That means that this earth that we are spinning on right now, perfectly suspended at 93 million miles away. Close enough to the sun to keep us from freezing. Far away enough from the sun to keep us from burning to a crisp. This perfectly distant earth is held together by Jesus. And this reality is the same for each and every person in the world. If you are not crumbling at every moment, it's only because you're held together by Jesus. In Him, all things hold together. He is the cornerstone to all buildings and the tight bond to all wood structures and the third third cord in a three-cord bond that cannot be easily broken. Jesus holds all things together. And if you have places in your life falling apart, the only one that can mend it and hold it up is Jesus. You guys ever heard of laminin before? There was a famous YouTube video about it, and I'm not by Louis Giglio, and I just want to point out not the uh, extravagant, but just, just the everyday piece of this. Laminin is a protein molecule in every person's body. It's a protein molecule in every person's body. And laminin is essentially the, the rebar of your body. Um, it's what keeps your cells and your muscles from uh, completely falling apart. It promotes cell adhesion. And so without laminin, your body can look like a strong structure, but on the inside, it's slowly falling apart. If you have laminin deficiency, if any person has laminin deficiency, your body wastes away from the inside. So you need one little protein molecule called laminin To allow your body to, if you can raise your hand right now, everyone raise your hand, this is going to be great, raise your hand. You are able to do that because you have laminin in your body. That one piece holds you together, the rebar, and without it, you crumble. This is exactly what Jesus is like, the rebar to every structure. Without Jesus, the structure can look strong. 
But the second, there's a breaking point pressure. It crumbles. With Jesus, the structure of your life is held together. Jesus sustains and holds all all things together. And He's the only one that we can trust to hold our life together and to redeem us where we are. Without Him, I would be crushed. And I've been crushed. My spiritual cells would crumble. He sustains my soul and my spirit. And He sustains my body as well. In Him, all things hold together. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Verse 18, Jesus is the sustainer of the church too. He is the head of the body, the church. If Jesus is not the head of our church, we will be crushed. Southside will not stand without Jesus blazing at the center. It won't. He is over all the living and active churches in the world. He is the head of the body, the church, sustainer of all things. Let's move on. Verses 19 and 20. And He is the head of the... uh, Sorry. For in Him, Jesus again, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. The last attribute is that Jesus is sufficient for all things. He's the Creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is sufficient for all things. Paul tells us that everything that was needed for our redemption was accomplished by Jesus. There is nothing that we need to add to our life. For in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Jesus made peace for you on the cross. Jesus is sufficient for all things. He is enough. He is adequate. You don't need more than Christ. Paul was combating this idea that you need to follow all these rules to be a believer. And he gave us this verse to say, no, you don't. No, you don't. He reconciles all things to Himself by His blood. He is completely sufficient to save and sustain and redeem and create and uphold. He is sufficient to Himself and so He needs nothing and He gives us everything. He is completely sufficient for all things. First, for the forgiveness of sins where redemption begins and then for the redemption of all areas of your life. Relationship problems, He is sufficient to, to reunite. Loneliness, Jesus is sufficient to fill your void. Trials and tribulations, Jesus is sufficient to give you strength to endure. Directionless, Jesus is sufficient to guide. Confused, Jesus is sufficient to counsel. Lost, Jesus' work is sufficient to save. He is enough. He rules it all. And He is sufficient for all. Jesus is the only key to our lives. 
having true purpose and real redemption. Will you look to Him? Your origin is restored back to God by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And your purpose is made possible by the work and sufficiency of Christ. And maybe you're asking this morning, how do I get started? How do I get started? Or you feel stuck and you're saying, how do I restart? The very first step is to call out to Jesus in prayer. And to ask Him to help. And the Spirit will come upon you and help. At, call out to Jesus in prayer and repentance, admitting that your life is in need of Him. And so, I'm going to be bold this morning. If you're not a Christian, would you put your faith in Jesus for the first time? We rarely do this at Southside. Rarely do this. But I feel like this is a chance for me to invite you to be saved. If you're not saved this morning, would you put your faith in Jesus for the first time? If you are a believer this morning, and you need to restart your love for your King, would you also be renewed and reconciled and restored to Him? I'm going to ask the music team to come up, but we have some Shepherd team members. Um, Chad and Jill are going to be in this prayer room over here. Tyler and Grace Hal and the Titchners are going to be in the hallway. And during the song, if you want to be saved or you want to be restarted for your love for Christ, um, during the music, I'm just going to ask you to either go out into the hallway or meet them um, in the prayer room. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being sufficient to all things, sufficient for my life, sufficient for me to be a father and a husband. I wouldn't be able to do it without you. I would be crushed. I would be crushed. Thank you for saving me, for redeeming me from my sin. That's the very first piece. You have transferred me from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your Son by the redemption of sin. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that your Spirit would open eyes this morning and open hearts. And you do the heavy lifting, Lord. There's not much we do. We just submit ourselves to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.